this is the Watchmen podcast on TV Podcast Industries, and we are watching episode six, This Exceptional Being. Welcome back, Watchers. This is TV Podcast Industries, and we're back with The Watchmen, Episode 6, This Exceptional Being, or This Extraordinary Being, as I've been calling it for the last uh, five weeks, up until the lead into it. Yeah, me too. Yeah, it's funny when I saw it on the wall behind Angela, written there, I was going, oh, okay, that's a different name for the episode than I've been seeing <laughs> everywhere. Even on IMDb, it's still called The Extraordinary Being, which is weird. I think everyone was just expecting it to. They they wanted you to think that the extraordinary will be Doctor Manhattan or exactly. something, and it's like, well, no, he's just exceptional. He's not extraordinary. <laughs> just exceptional. <laughs> and speaking of which, I'm here with all of my fellow co-hosts, my wonderful exceptional co-hosts. I'm one of your hosts, Derek. Hey, excuse me. I'm Chris, and I'm also extraordinary. Yeah, exactly. Sex stuff. <laughs> Sex stuff. Yes, exactly. I am one of your other hosts, John. Sex stuff. <laughs> <laughs> that opening scene is just great with the two cops uh, yeah. talking to each other. And one guy only says one line, which is sex stuff. Uh, <laughs> really takes that great moment at the start of the episode. We are going to spoil everything about episode six of The Watchmen, as we've been spoiling everything about every episode of the season so far. We hope you've been enjoying the podcast. We've really been enjoying doing it. Yeah, definitely. Although I am absolutely uh, to the hilter with a cold. Mm-hmm. So apologies, fellow watchers. Uh, for my, um, yeah, rather uh, sort of blocked up sound. A little bit more nasally than usual, John. I've always been nasally. <laughs> <laughs> but if if you heard the feedback episode for last week, Chris does a very good impression of you. <laughs> um, dare I say it, I didn't. You haven't heard it yet. Yeah, it's, it's okay, and it's fine. I don't tend to listen to my own work. Yes. It's all right, chip, chip, churu. It's all good. What did you do, Chris? Go on. I think a rendition no, is, is needed. No, no. I'll, I'll sl- now that I can see into your eyes. <laughs> oh no, I can never do that, dear sir. Never. Oh my no. god! I don't sound anything <laughs> of like. Of course that. not. <laughs> we never sound like that, you know. Stop culturally stereotyping. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Which one's which? I don't know anymore, fellow watchers. <laughs> anyway, let's get on with the podcast. Let's get on to talking about this episode of the show, so we can get John. Uh, Dosed up with Lemsip uh, and back in bed for a while. I'm already dosed up, absolutely. <laughs> no, it's just a bed needed. I, I, I kind of did uh, an Angela Abar nostalgia pills kind of thing <laughs> just before we started. I just <laughs> thought, you know, and, you know, the kind of usual movie stuff where they just, like, take all the painkillers. Mm-hmm. I mean... How in movies people don't overdose more, uh, I don't know. I know, I know. <laughs> but, fellow watchers, if you want to join us and tell us your thoughts about the episodes as we go along, you can always email us to feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com or pop on over to our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash tvpodcastindustries. Um, follow along with us. We do release a feedback episode separately because, luckily, we are recording these episodes a little bit in advance of the episodes airing on TV this is the last time we're going to be doing that, actually. And the episode six is the final one of our preview episodes. Um, from next week onwards, we're actually just going to have to work out when we're going to be recording and releasing our episodes, probably cutting it down to one episode a week since we're going to be recording after the episodes air. And we're probably going to be recording on Tuesday or Wednesday, I would say, yeah. without actually asking the guys, uh, which means our episodes will come out probably Thursday or Friday every week. Unfortunately, that's just the way of the world. <laughs> so uh, get in your thoughts to us and tell us what you think of the show. 
Yes, unfortunately, each of us have a day job, and uh, as much as we would love to fully involve and dive into The Watchmen within hours of it airing, um, mm-hmm. uh, s- sleep is also needed. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That is true. <laughs> Derek, do you want to give us the episode details? Absolutely, yes. Uh, this episode was written by Demi Lindelof and Cord Jefferson. Cord was a writer and story editor on Master of None. And The Good Place, both comedy shows, weirdly. So this episode is a massively serious episode, I think. There's some, you know, comedy moments like Watchmen always get out of uh, their episodes. But this is a really big jump for a comedy writer, I would think. Yeah, no, it's a strange one. I know Master of None has some more serious overtones, whereas The Good Mm -hmm. Place is more uh, thought-provoking than serious. Uh, yeah. they, they they dabble the odd time, but it's more mm-hmm. um, it's a more beat by beat comedy, uh, and I still love the good place. I, I should yeah. preface with that. Absolutely, it's kind of a kind of a sci fi sci fi situation comedy. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but no, this this is a step outside. But it's also he's shown his chops. He's shown his ability mm-hmm. to kind of step outside that comedy. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we've already talked about the director before. Director Stephen Williams uh, directed episode three of The Watchmen, so we've already talked about some of the sh- other shows that he's done, including Agent Carter, as we mentioned before. We've, we've, uh, we've Agent back Carter. Then. Mm-hmm. All available on Disney+, Plus, I believe. Yes. For all of our American listeners, make sure you are watching that two seasons, and then come back and check out our podcast on it. Absolutely, yeah. I, I've actually noticed a little bump in our uh, in our old podcast, because some people are listening to the uh, Agent Carter podcast from two years ago, three years ago. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Love yeah. that show. That was great, wasn't it? Yeah, brilliant. Well, John, do you want to give us the official episode description for this episode of Watchmen? Deep under the influence of nostalgia, <laughs> Angela gets a first-hand account of her grandfather's journey. Oh, John, that's even worse than normal. <laughs> it, it is, it is. I'll do it again. Okay. Deep under the influence of nostalgia, Angela gets a first-hand account of her grandfather's journey. Yes. Uh, what a journey it was. Yes, absolutely. Fantastic, fantastic episode. Um, I, I, I loved this. Uh, I thought it was just really well constructed. And I think some of the, the scenes, mm-hmm. the, the shots, the transitions were just amazing. Yeah, I'm right. Th- I'm right there with you in that the cinematography was amazing. But I think it's about time we jump into our top points. The doomsday clock has been set to five minutes to midnight. I believe that is where Chris is getting his skit. <laughs> I think that might be where Chris is getting his Even I put on that received accent. Uh, yes. <laughs> Do you know, we got a, a review over on iTunes saying that they didn't like the person who does the robot voice on the show. They thought their voice sounded terrible in comparison to the rest of the hosts. I think they talk, they're talking about that. <laughs> I think so, it's pro- It probably is me. I'm probably r- robotic. <laughs> Only on that bit. Because you're supposed to be. It is a robot. Yeah, I'm, I'm fairly kind of like sort of droll and chill. Always. Eh, always. Maybe. Eh, Who knows? <laughs> Let's see how it goes on this episode. Exactly, Chris, do you want to give us your big moment, your moment at five minutes to midnight? Yes. So we discussed this very quickly off air, but the actual breakdown of these, it means a lot of us are going to talk about the same kind of points. So I, I hmm. expect we'll, we all have the, a very similar point. Um, mine is one take on that, which is the hooded justice, the white vigilante. Um, and it's the confirmation that uh, Will is the Hooded Justice. Um, we mm-hmm. get an opening where we do get um, the Hooded Justice in American Hero Story um, telling uh, in the p- interrogation scene. Uh, and 
then we actually get the truth. And the truth is, it is Will, that he was the Hooded Justice. Um, mm-hmm. What I did find really interesting and a take on it was the fact that he had to apply makeup. And that mm-hmm. is seen throughout the, that, that part of it is seen throughout the, the whole story. Um, it wasn't just, um, where Batman places black on his eyes. So his, his cowl melds to his face. This was done for, because June pointed out that a, they, there's a race element to it. They wouldn't want, back then wouldn't have wanted a black man saving them. They wouldn't have felt comfortable. They wanted the, the, the first vigilante, the first American hero to be a white man. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't born back then. They, the, but the actual emotion, the, the, the full story of this and the rationale of why, spoke to me it was like oh my god this makes so much sense especially when mm-hmm. you see that the hood of justice um was initially well will was beaten by his fellow officers for being unfortunately an african-american in um that time um and being one and like if you even see it where when he becomes, when he's getting his medal, you see the, the commanding officer of the precinct or of the, I, I believe it's the academy. I, I don't think it was precinct. Yeah, it's his graduation. Um, out of the academy, he's getting his badge, his police badge. Yeah. There's loads of this stuff we're probably going to be talking about separately in our points here. So I'm not going to butt in and say too much here, Chris, but I love how they use that opening scene of American Hero Story. I loved how they use that opening scene where they have the two police officers asking the question to Hooded Justice, settle a bet for us. Why is it that you wear the noose around your neck? He thinks it's sex stuff. I think it's something else. I think it's because you're because of justice, basically. And that sets up the entire story, the entire actual yeah. episode of The Watchmen here, where we find out why he is wearing that noose is because his fellow police officers dragged him and tried, lynched him and tried to hang yeah. him uh, and then told him, we'll cut you down now, but next time we won't. And you see that full experience from first person, effectively, from his view out behind that hood. And that's what makes him wear that from then onwards. Like, that is a great moment, really, in this episode, bringing a character which, from the comic book, which you only saw a very small amount of uh, in the original comic book story back in 1985, and giving him this type of origin story, which makes it so much more impressive uh, what they've done with this show. I I think the the whole thing of the hooded justice being created, being born in that moment where his colleagues, you know, you kind of think they're on his side when um, Fred, who who chucks the Molotov cocktail through the, the deli window, uh, calls him a spook, and his colleagues say, apologize. Mm-hmm. And when he apologizes to the white officer, they go, no, apologize to our colleague. And you think everything's kind of, Okay, that's really supportive. And then you see the the whole Cyclops um sort of sign being done and obviously it, it, it leads to that moment where um they they're they're asking keep your nose out of white folks' business, um and if you do it again then you'll stay up there. Yeah. Which, you know, that warning and you get hooded justice born and I think What's really good about this moment as well is you have that 
truth and the untruth of the narrative right from the get-go were you have the two feds and hooded justice it's a white guy it's the american tv show um and then you get brought to the real narrative the real truth of um the creation of hooded justice and i i think that's a really nice moment as well uh just how stories perceptions have to be placed in the world for them to be acceptable yeah and obviously still in this moment yes hooded justice will reeve was keeping his identity um a a secret but it is that whole you know why he had to do that and, and how that's become um the the reality when in fact it, it's not right it's not correct mm-hmm. um it's false it's fake narrative basically absolutely um, and i think that's really a great thing of, of kicking this uh whole episode off i think absolutely and did you notice that final lines at the end of that moment effectively they've reduced this character of hooded justice to almost nothing because at the end of it he goes I should be concerned that I killed two federal agents, but I'm more worried about my boyfriend cheating on me. It's like they're taking away the power of this leader of the Minutemen, the, fa- the central figure of the Minutemen, the person that was brought in to make them, to legitimize the team effectively. And they've turned him into a pining gay guy. And that's it. That's, that's how they've pulled his character down. And he's a white guy, which is different from how he is in real life as well. So you understand this show has angered Agent Petey, for example, from if you listen to our feedback episodes, you know that he's written countless treaties on how much this uh, changes actual history. But even in the show itself, we're seeing moments here where they're, they're pulling down the character of Hooded Justice to the public effectively. And now that we know the real story of how much of a hero he really is and what he actually did to save people, it's fascinating to see the two side by side in one episode like this. Definitely. I mean, I, my, mine's coming at it from the nostalgia element, the memory pills of, of Will that have been downed by, by Angela. Mm-hmm. And I, I think this is a fantastic way to do a um, flashback episode in that sense. And this is kind of more my big point is I love the fact that this is, her, is Angela Abar overdosing on the memory pills of her grandfather, and all that that looks to um and you know looking back on this creation of of hooded justice uh, in new york city I, and you know from the rescue of them uh, in tulsa to the coming together of will and june the the baby that he um saved from the grass uh, wrapped in the american flag i think is really good and it's also just then the the camera work is is also exceptional uh, it's not just the being that's exceptional in in this uh, episode <laughs> yeah. because i just love how the transitions work from color to black and white the the transitions from will to angela uh tr- just the transitions from scene to scene going through doors you have this piano being played by will's mother mm-hmm from the cinema as a reference point and these red hints of color whether it's the red flashing light above the door when he goes in to stop the police officer who's recording the mesmerizing message uh, or the the two black people being dragged behind the cop car and you have the trail of of blood being highlighted Uh, it's really uh, really good and then you have those freeze frames that moment where 
hooded justice at um, FT and Sons grocery store uh, has taken down some of the Ku Klux Klan in the back, um, has fought his way through to the front and then is running and jumping through the window to get away from Fred, who's firing his, his shotgun at him. And you have the freeze frame. And then it comes to um, Agent Blake saying, you know, blink if you can understand me. And you have that brief moment of seeing Agent Blake and Angela's husband trying to kind of uh, keep her from slipping into unconsciousness or something as the medics really try to stop the overdose that's happening on will's memory pills so this for me was just um so creative so exceptional uh i thought it was really good and and the 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 few fight scenes in the back alley in the back of the ft and sons uh at behind at the back of the grocers yeah and also then in the warehouse of ft and son um was really good fight scenes it felt really visceral so um this for me was just a, a quality act absolutely like we we've covered a lot of comic book shows i think over the years as, as everybody knows if you've been following tv podcast industries um we've covered a lot of fight scenes particularly things in daredevil and jessica jones and uh and obviously three of the boys all of those shows have had their own kind of style to them um, that particular fight scene with Hooded Justice versus the clan members or the members of the Cyclops uh, group uh, in the back of the of the uh, shop, that really felt like one of those one take scenes from Daredevil for me. It had that really visceral feeling where you felt everybody was actually taking the punches, was mm. getting hit properly and get and getting thrown in real time on camera. I think it was probably the the most interesting thing about it, and I think it was a proper choice in this episode to make everything feel real everything there's a lot of first person moments in here you felt like you were this character of will all going through all of these experiences which is exactly what angela's doing i suppose so really good choice in the style here yeah no i'm 100 percent with you on that the camera work was one of the best and again that lynching scene um mm. just the the the, the, yeah. the the choice to make that first person for parts yeah. Um, yeah. Along with the Definitely. fading of the the, I don't know if you noticed that the light started to fade, so they actually started to mm-hmm. create the as you would as if you were going towards unconsciousness. Um, exactly. And I was exactly. just amazed that it was just some choice. Um, yeah. And the fight scenes, yeah. Yeah, and this is no hyperbole, but that moment when the police officers ask him to get into the car, I started feeling a bit queasy. And as the car pulls away and the bodies of the of the um Yeah. The two lynched people are hanging off the back of the car, it instantly made me feel so sick yeah. watching the episode. And from that moment onwards it's so uncomfortable. You see the beating of Will and then him being dragged to the tree. It's one of the toughest things I've watched this year, I think. I, Definitely. I, I I literally my partner gave an an, an, an exacerbated oh, like, what the hell? Think did yeah. not understanding that that first moment of shock. It's like yeah. are they actually dragging? No, and I was like I had to. It was like no, no, no. It's that's from the first episode, um, and it's the blending, the bleeding effect. And it's the realization within Will if he knows exactly what these guys want, and it's not a beer. Yeah. You know, um, really, really good. And I think that let me go on to my my point here, my big big point for the episode, which is. Hooded Justice, the police officer, because we've seen bits of Hooded Justice in the comic books, 
And everything Will really does in this episode is mostly as the police officer. Uh, and it's, uh, use your word, Chris, his exacerbation of the things he's not allowed to get away with yeah. as a police officer. Um, all the way up until that moment, I think you've already talked about some of my favorite bits in the episode, John, where you think the rest of the police officers are su- supportive of him. They make Fred apologize to him to his face and then they release him. Um, those moments are really interesting because it all builds towards this character of Will. You know, you have his wife, June, telling him, you can't do this because you're too angry to be able to be a police officer. And it's only after the lynching he comes back and says, now I'm angry. You're right. I am now angry about the situation that I'm in. But his final takedown of the Cyclops members in the warehouse is in his police uniform and is because the Minutemen have turned down their help to him because they just want to be they just want to be a show group effectively yeah they want to be a comic book come to life and he wants to take down this kkk group basically but he's getting no help from anybody his boyfriend is going do you want to come around for a drink maybe that'll help rather than actually going and working with them and using their talents to take down this group you know it's fantastic i love that this is just a real human being in real situations here and you think this is a superhero show, but actually he's going, I need to use my powers, which is being a police officer, to take down these guys. And when he can't, he takes a gun and takes them out. Uh, it felt totally justifiable in this episode. They did a great job of building that story for Will. Yeah, the scene with me with the, the Minutemen was terrible because it was just, and now, but before we do it, let's talk about this bank ad. And you're yeah. like, oh... Well, the fact that he starts to say that he has all of this evidence about a KKK group that has infiltrated this whole area within New York, and before he gets to the end of it, he's cut off by his partner, the person that brought him into the group, going, oh no, that's this is just a plan of a new crime lord, Moloch, who'll, who will go and beat, because we're the Minutemen, you know? Yeah. Because that's what people want to see as superheroes take down supervillains, and the biggest supervillain here is the KKK, but they're not willing to go after yeah. them. It's left to one man to do. Well, that's it. I think I think it's a really interesting take on that superhero creation because it is the the feeling of frustration that within your role, such as being a police officer or, or whatever, you can't actually bring the justice uh, to the community or for the community or on the streets. And so you have to move to being a vigilante in the same way that Hooded Justice. But I think this is complicated even further because he's a police officer of colour mm-hmm. at a time where he is being warned about Cyclops when he's being enrolled. He has this this um, warning from his colleagues who he thought was supporting him. So it's not just simply that he can't deliver justice on the streets. It's also because he's actually being prevented from doing that through racism yeah. and corruption within the police force. And that I, f- I felt really, again, really tangible um, and, and really, really good. Yeah, yeah. So well put together. Yes. TikTok, gentlemen. Yes, it does. I was about to say, hark, I hear a TikTok. Yes. Bark, I hear um, <laughs> a ticking. Woof, woof. Yeah. The doomsday clock has been set to four minutes to midnight. Robotic. <laughs> it's not that bad. It's not at all. I'm trying to do a perceived kind of... Perceived? Yeah. A received scientist kind no. of thing. 
It's just very Daft Punk. It's Daft Punk. Yeah, I'm trying to just do a received sort of well-spoken scientist giving a, a, a yes. neutral kind of thing. Exactly. Robotic London is what you were going for, was it? No. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, do you want to take us on with your uh, middle point, your point at four minutes to midnight? Sure. Um, so for me, it's the hypnosis of Cyclops. Not Cyclops themselves. Mm-hmm. This This actual... Uh, part of their master plan to incite hatred uh, within the masses mm-hmm. through hypnosis, through um, this kind of flashing lights. Um, it, it's just, it's very interesting. Um, I, and I know we want to, we'll talk more about it and how it kind of ekes into their whole plans and who they are, etc. But I just thought it was really interesting because we first, start to see this at the cinema. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and it, it basically has caused a riot. And their their plan with this tool was to um, essentially cause uh, African-Americans to go violent in African-American cinemas or things like that to, down, to play, downplay who they are. Because we see this when... Will walks in as Officer Reeves, um, and essentially is like, "Oh well, you speak their language. Maybe you can calm them down." Um, again, speaking to the racism oh. of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, what I found most interesting is we see later on that Will actually makes it a light. He makes it a carryable uh, flashlight. Mm-hmm. The same technology. Um, and he uses it. Um, and I don't fully understand how he uses it because the expectation there is that it needs to be flashing on you at all times. Um, but then there are parts where people have, he doesn't have that flashlight on people at the same time and they're not looking at it and the, the hypnosis should not be working. But anyway, um, I just thought it was a, it was a unique take. The only bit is I don't understand where it came from. It came from a book. Because my my point's the same. It's that the mesmerism of the masses. Mm-hmm. The book um, in the original fight behind the grocer store in in FT and Sons, um, and it, it is. I really enjoyed the you know mesmerism. It, it just it really sort of smacks of that sci-fi from the you know the turn of the last century you know the 20s and 30s where it it's mind control it's the hypnosis and so on and you see this plan coming together um you know you see baltimore you see all these different cities being mentioned on a map and then you have the book mesmerism of the masses and then in the warehouse you see them doing the the you know the dulcet tones um uh, to the cinema reel so it looks like they the technology back then they have to have a specially designed cinema uh, projector and, and reel that goes in and yeah you have the um you you have the massacre at the the kino yeah the cinema and it's all just been targeted at african americans to fight african americans as you say and I, and I like all this the way through and then yeah he has that kind of handheld thing but and you presumably um it, it, it's it's just this um, insidious uh, approach to cause 
um, the the violence between African Americans, uh, th- this plan, this mesmerism of the masses, um, and I, I thought you know the, that link with the Cyclops, the police, the the KKK in New York, you know, all coming from uh, Fred from FT and Sons mm. throwing the Molotov cocktail through the Jewish deli window uh, and being apprehended by Will Reeve, and it all sort of snowballing from there really uh, i i thought was uh really kind of nicely done and i think it comes back to what you were saying as well derek that you get to that moment where the Minutemen then just don't believe him he's in that phone box yeah. and it's this is all just a crazy talk what are you on about um you know we just want to go after someone else and then you have will taking it into his own hands uh in in the warehouse yeah it's not really our cup of tea, he's told. Yeah. 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 Evil. Evil. Um, It's absolutely killing me, gentlemen. I don't know whether any of you can remember the movie. There is another film that uses a box that turns people evil in a cinema, and we cut into the cinema after everybody's just sitting there, and they're all killing each other, and we see the fight, and I cannot remember it's what movie Kingsman. it is. It's The is it not the Kingsman and the church? That's in a church. No, definitely a cinema. And I cannot remember it. Please, fellow watchers, if you remember this film that I'm describing, I've tried to Google it and I can't seem to find it. I'll probably know it by the time we get back to our feedback episode because I know the film was very popular, or at least I watched it a lot. So so I'm trying to think what movie it is. Uh, a box that turned everybody angry at each other and they all, all killed each other in the room. Um, our Virgin Media box? <laughs> that is a box that makes all of us angry at the moment. Oh my goodness, absolutely. <laughs> but one other thing I wanted to point out about the scene, you say that it all started with Fred throwing the Molotov cocktail through the, uh, the Jewish deli window. Interestingly, it starts one step before that, as Will looks at the newspaper stand and sees the headline on the newspaper, which is, Nazism is coming to the West. Oh, yes. And that moment is directly followed by an act of Nazism in New York on American soil. So I just think that as a choice in that scene is fantastic. Some of this stuff is wonderfully put together, and it's explained away quite well because effectively Angela's experiencing this memory this entire memory that's been pieced together by Will effectively of all of these great moments in his life. So, so things and joins that you may think, Oh, that's a bit coincidental that this is happening here. or That's happening at this exact moment, or this is leading into this. They're all Will's memory being pieced together into this perfect narrative effectively. So not all of these things may have happened in the way, in the exact way that they happened, but Will is piecing all of the moments together to show the story, I suppose, to Angela. One question that's still outstanding from earlier on in the season, and I still don't know the answer to it, is how does Will know that it was going to be three days until Angela took the tablets and experienced who he was? Because he said that to Lady True. In three days' time, Angela's going to know the truth. And what's she, what she going to think about it? How does he know it was going to be three days? Was he going to tell her this story if she hadn't taken the pills? Or was he holding onto the pills and going to give her the tablets so she could experience it? I mean, is it the Lady True version of the Asian Vite thing with Robert Redford where they've put the the plans in place to such an extent that, um, you know, you could have expected a hologram to appear of Lady True because ultimately we have Angela waking up back at Lady True's uh, biodome. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it could be, she goes, you're going to take those pills now uh, and you're going to wake up back back mm-hmm. at my biodome, at my home. So 
I just wonder if it's that kind of thing that it, it it's the this was the plan. The, the plan has been to uh, bring Angela into this um, in the same way that Adrian Veidt had been doing that with Robert Redford and, and what we saw in the previous episode. It just that calculating mm-hmm. again because it it it, it chimes to a clock mechanism that each beat goes and it's consistent and it's controlled and it gets to that moment in time just through the, the mechanism behind the face, uh, being put into operation. So I, I just wonder if it's that maybe, yeah, maybe this is the whole plan. Everything's been ticking by on the clock, I suppose. So for my middle point, and I'm hoping this, won't come across as controversially as I've written. <laughs> so I'm going to try and explain something that struck me at the end of the episode. I think it is intentional on the show. I have named this point, if it walks like a duck and it talks like a duck, it's a duck, right? Isn't it? Isn't it a duck? So is Judd a racist leader of the 7th Cavalry? Or did he just look like one to Will and that's why Will killed him? So... <laughs> I posit to you the reason why we got the last episode, episode five, the reason why we got the story from the senator saying he took over the KKK or the seventh cavalry and Judd took over the police to make sure that these two forces didn't go against each other. That was given to us in episode five to explain that Judd actually isn't a racist and actually isn't a member of the clan. He's just made some very stupid decisions like keeping his father's former clan outfit in a closet in his home. And saying something like to a man that's about to kill you, saying to him, well, it's my legacy. Probably a very stupid thing to say if you're not a racist and if you're not proud yeah. of that legacy. He also does say, you don't know me at all. Yeah. Which, yeah, th- there's a lot of am- ambiguity there, really. Yeah. And before the season, I suppose, remember himself and Angela are very close friends. They work yeah. together and they are very close. It's been established that those two characters have very close family, familial relationships, really. And it's also established with that discussion in episode five, he certainly wasn't involved in the White Knight. Himself and the senator got together to stop that incident happening again. At least that's what the senator says. So has Will just killed a man who was connected with a racist organization with not enough evidence? Is this another Watchmen type ideal of this is the reason you shouldn't have superheroes or vigilantes in the world? Because if you do, they don't follow the rules that are laid out in terms of proper investigation of people, they go after people based on sometimes spurious evidence. That's kind of my question on this episode. Will we see in future Judd actually getting a moment to explain to someone in the past and some other flashback that he's not actually a leader of an organization? He doesn't believe in their motives, but he is doing something to stop them achieving their goals. Yeah, it's difficult to know. I I definitely think Judd is... Uh, far more complicated than just simply being the grandmaster of the Ku Klux Klan mm. in Tulsa. Yeah. Um, at the same time, I think it might be a clashing of two different plans to prevent or maybe competing plans to uh, do whatever they're going to do and how they play out. And that Jude and Senator Keane's plan ultimately is incompatible with Lady True's as to what she wants to do. I I mean, I don't know yet. I don't think we're far enough down that road to really assess that, but maybe Will killed Judd because they needed to in order for whatever's happening at the big 
um, clock in in Tulsa at Lady True's um, sort of center of operations. We mm-hmm. you know we had that moment I think from episode four where he goes, you know, in three days time she's going to hate me for what I've done. Mm. Uh, that she knows that he's killed Jud, um, and there is that suggestion there that Jud, yeah, is maybe not that straight up racist Ku Klux Klan uh, grandmaster that w- that we thought. Yeah. Um, that there's a complication there, and as you say, it walks like a duck and it talks like a duck. It it's a duck. I can't imagine that Jud would be so familiar with the Abar family, mm-hmm. um. Because it, it 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 couldn't be hidden for that long. It it, it would be too much to keep that um, contradiction uh, down. Yeah. I suppose. Well, um, I, I suppose but, that's the thing. You know, perhaps this is also the other commentary that it could be is that racism hides in plain sight. Sometimes, sometimes you don't see racists when they're right beside you because they're they're able to cover it up now. You know, um, that's the more simple side of it. I think what they're actually saying is potentially. He was killed for having some very, very stupid choices, I suppose, uh, from say doing some very silly things, especially, as I say, with a man that's about to hang you. Um, great that they gave us this explanation of yeah. Will hanging Judd, because everybody, everywhere that I've seen has gone, there's no way he did it. He's in a wheelchair. Even if he can stand, he's 105 years old. How could he possibly have lifted up uh, Judd and put him on that tree? But no, it turns out he's got his own... Um, handy mesmerizer in his pocket, um, which yeah. is quite interesting. And he calls him Cyclops as well. He mm-hmm. does the Cyclops thing to Judd, so maybe there's something around that. M- maybe, but I do think that's just him saying, this is what I believe you are from the pieces of evidence I've been able to ga- gather. You're definitely a member of that group that I have been following and killing all of my life, effectively. Yeah. You're part of my life's work kind of thing. But just to your point, Chris, quickly before we close out uh, our middle section of the uh, of the podcast... Um, that weapon is truly a comic book moment, right? That feels yes. like something directly out of yeah. a comic book and almost plays in directly to what Captain Metropolis was saying about Moloch having this brand new experimental weapon that he's going to try and take over the world with. That's what these guys are doing. Um, when they play it in the cinema and f- for the African-American audience to kill each other, um, if you noticed, he was still recording more and more stuff in the warehouse and there were hundreds of these about to be sent out around the country. That's yeah. what Will actually stopped by burning down the warehouse. He stopped this network, this distribution of this weapon going out to all the other chapters, I suppose, of the Cyclops network, yeah. which would have created mass race riot effectively yeah. throughout the country. So a massive heroic moment for Will here. I can understand why he wants to remember that moment. That's his his big moment that he stopped a massive riot going on around the country. So that's cool, right? No, it is, 100%. Um, the one thing I, I, just before we move on, is I don't think the three days um, comment has to do with the nostalgia and this flashback. I literally think it's something they're about to do. Right, right. And where he will be in the center of it. Mm-hmm. Interesting, um, yeah. yeah. And I think, essentially, it's leading up to the Ozymandias moment, the big squid moment, um, and it will come out that Will Reeves is the um, the the instigator, whatever, uh, and that's where that hate piece is coming from. Um, I think that's what it's to do with, uh, because we see at the end of this, it is um, she wakes up beside Lady True, 
So it's there. That being said, I think it's about time we move on. Shark, I hear a TikTok. <laughs> Clark, is that you? <laughs> the Doomsday Clock has been set to three minutes to midnight. Robotic. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> Intergalactic planetary. <laughs> well, gentlemen, as the doomsday clock has struck three minutes to midnight, what's our small thing about the episode that we want to talk about before we close it out? Okay, Chris. I'm going to talk about one thing. It's very short point, but it's something that just stuck in my claw. Right. Um, Will and June are in love. Yep. They marry, have a child. Yeah. But essentially, not biologically, but essentially, June is his sister. Uh, or sister-like, or daughter I Essentially, we know that Will, June is the the baby from the field outside of Tulsa, mm-hmm. um, because we get that strange scene where it's like, tell me when you first figured out you loved me, um, was when I set my eyes on you, um, and we get the, that, that the confirmation that June was that baby, mm-hmm. and that they've grown up together, and um, yeah, and then... They grew up together, looked after each other, and then decided to get married and have a kid. This just stuck in my claw a bit, because I'm just a bit like, okay, that's literally like marrying your sister. Yeah. I know it's not supposed to. I know it is just a slight aside. Probably most people do not even notice it or think like that. But for me, it was a bit of a, all right, all right, um, no. But all right. I'm going to admit you're not alone, Chris. When I watched the episode, I was kind of going, is it a little bit weird that the person that he saved from Tulsa, the only person he knows and the only person he's lived his entire life with is now his wife and he has a child with her. And that's true. Yes, it is. It is odd. And I suppose also, remember, he is sleeping with Captain Metropolis as well. So once again, the showrunners of Watchmen are absolutely answering questions that we have. I had the question in the first episode, if he is hooded justice, how could he possibly be the grandfather of Angela Abar when we know the one fact we know about hooded justice is that he's gay and has a relationship with Captain Metropolis? Well, he fell in love and married and and had a child with June and she left him. So the yep. that story being the other side of hooded justice that nobody else saw means that we never heard that story at all. But I did kind of think, yeah, the closeness between the two of them should be more familial, and it feels odd that they would have a relationship. But, you know, they aren't biologically connected by any by any means. No. His parents gave Will to a completely different family who they'd not met before, and they had to effectively push Will on them to get him safely out of Tulsa. And they both were dead. So I mean, is it one of those things where maybe June knows that he's gay? And Mm -hmm. maybe as as one of those things that happened were she did marry him that, but ultimately allowed for, uh, his, his homosexuality so that he could do that. And that, okay, you still have that love and there's still a family being, uh, created from that. But I wonder if the, I mean, it didn't seem like that for sure. You didn't certainly didn't get anything saying that that was the case. Mm. But I just wonder whether maybe that's an element here that it it, it yeah. could be a, a a a window shopping kind of relationship, and they're the only two people in New York. They've come from Tulsa. They've been grown up together. 
So it, it's slightly familial, uh, as you say, but it's also um, a dressing of the window for for Will. Um, but yeah. I, I don't know. That didn't really come across, but that could explain why she is married to him. And, you know, that ultimately one thing leads to another and you, she becomes pregnant in that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I, I, I do think the show is actually saying to us that Will's bisexual. He's not gay. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, think, I think it's saying they fell in love, they had a child, and then he met Captain Metropolis and they fell for each other. Um, she certainly doesn't seem very happy about Captain Metropolis from the moment he comes in. And I do think the scene, again, being a memory of Will's and from his perspective, like genuinely, it feels like Captain Metropolis could have just said, can I have sex with your husband right now? With the way he's talking to him across the table from June. He's, yeah. He doesn't say anything in the words, but you can feel there are moments in there where he's saying to him, I know you're gay and I know you want to have sex with me and I want to have sex with you right in front of June when she's right there. She doesn't seem happy about it. So, you know, and then he touches... Uh, Captain Tropolis's hand before he leaves, effectively saying, "You're right," kind of thing. So, um, so these are all within his memories again, as I say. So, something's probably slightly twisted from what may have happened in the real world um, to kind of fit into his narrative, I suppose. Um, but yeah, I um, it, it did feel weird, Chris. I do, I do completely understand Thank the you. idea, but I'm glad they used it to explain some of the things that, uh, that yeah. we've been asking about. Yeah, I mean, effectively, that's my point as well. It's the the two become one. It's mm-hmm. it's the relationships of of Hooded Justice and, and Will Reeves. It it is that thing where Will Reeves is in the relationship with June, mm-hmm. uh, but Hooded Justice is in the relationship with Captain Metropolis. And at least that Captain Metropolis wants it to be the hooded justice. You see that moment where he's like, you know, let's put on our masks when we do it next time. Uh, Whereas June, you know, comes to the conclusion that he should never have put on the hood. It's that she's losing him. Uh, He's no longer Will Reeves, the the police officer, um, because it's become too much. Uh, So I like the fact that you, you know, have this moment where seemingly two ideas that shouldn't have been possible in the existence of Angela Abar, uh, but the hooded justice is gay. Yeah. Um, it's probably, again, slightly blurrier than that, that yeah. he's bisexual, as you say. Well, he obviously is, because yeah. we, we have that proven. But it's mm-hmm. almost this um, sort of uh, bipolar-type way of doing it through bit. Hooded Justice and Will Reeves, mm-hmm, absolutely. At least for their his partners yeah. here of June and uh, Captain Metropolis. Yeah. Less so for him. Like there's, there's no doubting that he's in love with June. In fact, there's even moments when I'm going, does he even like Captain Metropolis by the end of this uh, this story? Effectively, because this guy's turned his back on him and is trying to use him as a PR stunt basically the whole time. That's all he's there for is to sell the idea of Minutemen and also to have a little bit of sex occasionally. But he doesn't seem to have any particular loving relationship with them. June is the much more supportive partner of Will Reed. Yeah, I'd li- I'd like to know what happened after, like literally between June leaving and going to Tulsa yeah. and telling him never to come back and 2019. Yeah, like like what what happened with Captain Metropolis? What happened with the Hooders? We know that he then faked his death. Yes, exactly. At some point. Yeah. But I don't know that time range. I don't know. I need to figure... Like, I'd like a timeline. I'd really like a timeline of this show. <laughs> well, we do know like, this particular episode, the, the beginnings uh, start out in 1938. 
um, because of the release of a particular comic book, uh, which we'll talk about in our extra uh, Easter eggs and connections moment. Yeah, and Will is graduating from the class of 38 uh, with the cadets, and then you've got the whole rise of Nazism uh, moving west in Europe. So going from 38 probably to about 39, 1940. And then we know he has his son, and his son grows up uh, during this time and then attempts to put on the hooded justice mask and that's effectively why june leaves because will can't stand the idea of his son becoming like him um he feels like he was almost forced into that because the world was a horrible place and his feeling that his son's going to be growing up in exactly the same way is what angers him i think it's what really gets to him uh, is that idea that he hasn't actually made the world a better place for his son which is most parents dream i suppose their wish for their family is that they're going to make the world a better place and it turns out June can't deal with Will being taking that anger home to their family and she leaves and goes back to Tulsa. My yeah. final point, my small thing that about this episode I want to talk about, because we talked about pretty much everything else. One interesting moment, as Angela wakes up, her final piece of the memory that's supposed to be from Will is actually her grandmother, June, standing over her, a much older lady now, standing over her saying, don't worry, dear, I'll take you home now. I think that's June in Saigon after Angela's parents have died, taking her back to Tulsa with her. Say that again? I think that's her grandmother, June, t- after Angela's parents have died, taking her back to Tulsa with her. Oh. So they have explained and given us an answer to that question where I was asking two episodes ago or three episodes ago, why are all these people in Tulsa of all places when they're from all over the world? They're all from Vietnam. And why would they be in Tulsa of all places? Well, they are because that's where June went back to and she's Angela's last surviving relative after her parents die. So she went to pick her up from Saigon and brought her back to Tulsa. I love how, how many answers we're getting to questions. I didn't even think no, yeah, no, I didn't. <laughs> I knew that was June, but I thought it was an older June with Will. Exactly why it's weird that Angela would have this memory at the end of all of the memories that we've seen from Will. So I'm I'm intrigued. We'll we'll definitely see that, I'd say, in the next episode, because it stands out so specifically that it is yeah. her grandmother, effectively, uh, speaking directly to the first person, I suppose. So um so it may not be. You may be right, it may be a will memory, but it feels like it should be an Angela memory. So I, I was expecting at some point to get back to Vietnam and getting just a large blue leg kind of walking through a tree or a scene as we see a young uh, Angela kind of run by. Um, I was expecting that, mm-hmm. or I should be at some point, but maybe right. she won't. But I love that line. June specifically says to Will, you are never to see your son again, and you're never to have any dealings with our family ever again. So that's why Angela never knew that Will was her grandfather. Yeah, it's true. He stuck completely out of her life. That's it for our small point. On some notes. The doomsday clock is now at two minutes. I repeat, two minutes to midnight. So if we were to have a villain name for the cop that's trying to convince all the people, would we call him the Mesmerizer? Would that feel like a 1930s kind of comic book name? No, it would be Mesmer. (laughs) Mesmer? No, Mesmerizer. Yes, definitely. (laughs) Because it has that kind of, he's foreign, he's evil. I think. The Mesmer. (laughs) Um, So we do get a comic book uh, appearance in here. Remember, as people tend to forget Watchmen is a DC comic book. So I love that we have the first appearance of Superman uh, in here. Action Comics number one. Um, 
I am so glad we mentioned it after we watched episode one of the of Watchmen. We mentioned how closely this seemed to be like Superman escaping Krypton as Will escapes Tulsa, the burning and the the death of everything that he knows. Um, it just it's it's amazing that something like that stood out so well in the first episode we mentioned of the podcast, and now in this episode you actually have it side by side where they're explaining Superman leaving Krypton and going off on his superhero journey is shown on screen with Will and his and his now wife leaving Tulsa. So I'm I'm so glad that we caught it because uh, it was totally yeah. intentional, basically. Apparently. Uh, or, or it was just a, a good prop master. <laughs> exactly. The music throughout the episode. Chris, you must, must have been getting some flashbacks to your hours and hours of playing Fallout, right? Yes, 100%. Uh, it just consistently went on. Um, my assumption is that some of the uh, volumes 1, 2, and 3 um, potentially at least one whole volume will be made up of all this music. Possibly. Now, the um, the musics that are, on, that are that have been confirmed for the score that's coming out are all just Atticus Ross and Trent Reznor. So far, we haven't heard of a, of a soundtrack as such uh, being released, um, but I was certainly brought right back to the first trailer for Fallout 3 with the um, the Ink Spot song, the uh, I Don't Want to Set the World on Fire. Yeah. Um, I love the choices of music because they are absolutely all chosen for their lyrics. Um I love Smoke Gets In Your Eyes being sung as Will is standing right outside the warehouse that's burning down and the smoke yeah, is yeah, billowing really outside. Good. Lovely choice. And uh, and the flashback to him seeing Tulsa burning exactly. on the horizon as yeah, well. Beautiful choices here. And again, as I say, the I Don't Want to Set the World on Fire uh, by the Ink Spots playing as he is effectively donning the mask as hooded justice for the first time this is his moment where he is about to set the entire world on fire by being a masked vigilante start starting off the whole movement of vigilantism in america so uh, i love that they've chosen those those songs i love when when creative people choose creative songs and uh, for uh, for a soundtrack all pretty period i think they're all all around the 30s and early 40s uh for the songs that were that were playing um yep. which is great I, i'm really really excited when they do that kind of stuff so uh, once again great choices in this episode yeah um for me it's just the choice of black and white mm-hmm. yeah um it's just you could have easily have just done this in color um because it would have been easier for the director, it would have been easier for everyone. Because what they had to do then was film this in black, film this in color, with the assumption that it was going to be in black and white, mm-hmm. and light it for black and white. Uh, but while still giving it dashes of color every now and again to signify very particular things. Absolutely. Um, I thought it was just such a, a beautiful choice, uh, and it, it it's a it was a choice that made extra work for them. Um, but it came came together amazingly. Absolutely, and you know, there's also just the the flip between Will and Angela. Angela paints a black stripe across her face when she puts on her mask. Yeah. Will paints a white stripe across his face to hide that he's black uh, in this episode, so you understand the origin of those two things. Um, also, Chris, as we talked about in the feedback episode, remember in this universe, Steven Spielberg has made a black and white film about the attack in New York with occasional dashes of color, like his. Yep. In our universe, obviously, Schindler's List. I love that that was last episode they talked about that. And then this episode, they did it. They've made their own Steven Spielberg type Schindler's yeah. List, you know? Yeah, no, it's a, it was a great choice and a great just kind of, it's a way just nice to, to tie everything together. Absolutely. And again, it looked beautiful. Yeah, and they, they really do feel like they laid the groundwork with those kind of drop pieces of dialogue that the next episode you go, oh, that's why they were talking about that, because they're doing yeah. it this episode. You know, it's kind of cool. My moment of realization from this episode is. 
the big difference between this show and all the other superhero shows is how realistic the blood use is yeah. in this show. Uh, even in American Hero Story, the television show, when he's beating up the two FBI agents, the blood that's coming out of them is unbelievable. He does the standard cartoon comic book type thing where he throws the two of them faces at each other, but you can see the cracking of bone. And immediately afterwards, the dialogue says he killed them with that move. You know, <laughs> that's something that, you know, every single character from Popeye right the way up to Superman has used throwing two characters against each other to knock each other out. But in this show, they're showing how visceral and bloody this stuff is. So uh, yeah. well done. Yeah, well done. That's all my Easter eggs and notes and nods. I'm sure there'll be loads more uh, coming out when we talk about our feedback episode. Everything from me. Yep. Yeah, everything from me too. Excellent. So, John, what did you think of episode six of Watchmen, The Exceptional Being? Um, I thought this was exceptional. I would give this five sexy stuffs out of five. <laughs> um, I just thought this was um, a great flashback exposition uh, episode done in a really interesting thematic way. You know, that idea, it is black and white, mm-hmm. but talking about, you know, it's on the nose with respect to the, the subject matter as opposed to colour, but when you see the colour, the colour is representing something threatening or ominous or violent or, or the output of violence with, with the red, the hints of red. Um, but getting the origin story here of Hooded Justice um, and how it was done so nicely with the fantastic camera work, I, I absolutely thought this was amazing TV. Mm-hmm. Uh, really thoughtful uh, so many nods, as you say, to the black and white of Schindler's List and, and Steven Spielberg. Some great fight scenes here. Some really just interesting comic book moments, almost with the the mesmerizing flashing torch. Um, you've got the effectively the cheapness of Captain Metropolis. You mm. know, it, it's the fact that he is the all American hero there. Yeah. Uh, yet. Um, is is cheap and superficial yeah. in what he's wanting to do and how that lets down uh, Will Reeves and just building this in through effectively an overdose by Angela Abar of uh, his nostalgia, the yeah. memory pills from Lady True's company. I just think this is a really, really standout TV. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Five sexy stuffs out of five. Woof. <laughs> Chris? Okay, so this is a bit of a, a mixed bag for me. Hmm. Uh, I'm, I, you'll have heard from our discussions on this, I enjoyed this episode uh, in terms of the choices made, the decisions made, the 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 rationale of why. Mm-hmm. Um, but overall placement of it is in the wrong place. Oh, really? Because we've just gotten two very exposition-heavy, answer-filled episodes that have slowed down the overall series and the intrigue and everything. Okay. In my opinion. Mm. Um, What I would have done, uh, just from a pacing perspective, would probably have placed a a more present-day episode in between these two. Mm. Um, so that you can, cause just as a reminder, we still don't know what happened to, um, Looking Glass. Yes. I was genuinely thinking when I was watching the episode, I love the episode. I'll, I'll tell you that in a second, but I was genuinely thinking the amount of people on the internet here are going to be screaming about, but what happened to Looking Glass? <laughs> exactly. 
So yes, I I I, I enjoyed this episode. I enjoyed the historical significance of it. I enjoyed the framing of it. I enjoyed the subject matter. Well, sorry, I enjoyed how the subject matter was portrayed. Mm-hmm. Um, I enjoyed all the little nods. It's just from a pay- overall series pacing perspective. I think it was just in the wrong place. Like literally, I think they if they had to push this to episode seven and given us an episode six because I think that's the problem. They've just given us two heavy exposition episodes with flashbacks essentially, mm-hmm. and I, I I think for people like us, we'll enjoy that. And we we're used to it. Hell, we we had it in a lot of our previous shows. Yeah. I just think for the average viewer, that's going to become across as oh, it's gotten very, oh, it's heavy now. Oh, <laughs> uh. um. So overall. Loved this episode. Uh, it, I would say, I would say exceptional, not uh, extraordinary. Okay. Um, just because I think that pacing has kind of brought it down a rung, one rung for me. Right. Right. Um, so there we are. I think I'm probably closer to John um, on this. This is a perfect episode for me. I thought it was so so difficult to watch. I had, as I say earlier on, I had a visceral reaction to watching some of the scenes in here. And it's an episode like this that really feels like it stepped outside the genre of comic book television, apart from one moment in the episode, which is very comic book. But it makes me feel like this show can stand alongside the comic book of Watchmen, which became New York Times bestselling novel Watchmen, even though it's a graphic novel. Um, You know, it stepped outside of its genre so much that it was up there for everybody being told, if you ever want to read what could be great about the medium, this is it. And I feel like Watchmen in future, with episodes like this, people will be able to say, if you want to see what comic book TV could be like, watch this show. That's how good it was for me. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. I think that that's definitely something that at a certain point, this will be lauded up there. Mm-hmm. Um, I question I have, will lightning strike twice? Exactly. Will the other three episodes be of this quality? Because we yes. don't know. Uh, with that, we need to repeat again, fellow watchers, this is the last episode that we'll be releasing on the night of release for Watchmen, because it comes out in the US uh, at 3 a.m. our time. Um, we've been able to release our first six episodes just after the episodes came out, but we won't be able to do that anymore. So uh, we will be returning with episode seven of The Watchmen and Almost Religious Awe next week at some point. But we will also have our feedback episodes coming out. So make sure that you send in your thoughts about this episode, any of the episodes so far, to feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com. Come over to our group on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash tvpodcastindustries and talk to us over there about the episodes. Yes, looking forward to it. Um, I am almost in awe of how we're going to do this, but let's wait and see. Mm -hmm. And remember, fellow watchers, to subscribe over at tvpodcastindustries.com for your good or evil podcast catcher to listen to our discussion and feedback episodes of Watchmen, the HBO series. Um, Yeah, (laughs) we're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, uh, you name it, we're on it. Just search us, um, rate us, leave a review, and of course, share the love uh, is sharing the podcast. Absolutely. And I have noticed from our numbers that there's a lot of people that don't listen to our feedback episodes. On our feedback episodes, we are doing the Watchmen pub quiz where John comes up with a question every week for you to answer. And at the end of the series, we're going to be giving away a Watchmen related prize uh, when it comes to the final episode of the series. So make, catch up. Come on over to the feedback episodes. Have a listen. Hear the great questions. Some easy some almost impossible some we've had to clarify after the fact <laughs> yes uh, the last one was certainly 
of a vegetable uh, in nature. It was, it was, and very easy. So, so please come join us for those episodes. We want to want to hear your thoughts as well, uh, and you can hear the thoughts of the other fellow watchers. Yes, I just hope you could understand the question after Chris tried to mimic my sound. <laughs> I have written Oi, it out. Governor! Oi, hey, governor! Stop. Oi, uh, governor! Here's the pub quiz. <laughs> oh, I. Uh... Two points uh, of lag in the back of quiz. Jimmy, says the pub quiz. <laughs> the first one was a little bit pennyworth, John. What, veggie? <laughs> right, that's it. We're closing out our episode. If you want to support us, remember, you can always go over to Patreon at patreon.com slash tvpodcastindustries and throw us some support over there. Uh, but as John said, share the podcast. That's a lot of support for us. There's tons and tons of Watchmen podcasts out there. Luckily, we're getting some great listeners and getting some fantastic feedback from our watchers as well. Thanks so much for all of that, and we'll talk to you again soon. Bye-bye, watchers. Keep watching the Watchmen. Yes, thank you so much, and we'll speak to you again soon. Yes, thank you, fellow watchers. Uh, as always, it's a pleasure uh, chatting with you. Uh, remember, keep watching, keep listening. Bye.